Welcome to Open Mic Marketing. Over the past six episodes, we've interviewed serving politicians, artists, charities, USA business gurus, and performance coaches, as well as some of Europe's best digital marketing experts, to bring you insights and tips to thrive in an ever-changing commercial landscape. So today, I'm delighted to welcome Dr. Gary Crotaz, author of The Idea Mindset. We'll discuss how his program can help you design a working life that enables you to reach your full potential, that excites you every day and delivers on what you need from work. Gary is something of an expert in career change, having trained as a doctor, worked in science, strategy consulting and senior corporate leadership and travelled the world as a professional ballroom dancer. These days, he's an executive and mindset coach and has coached clients in more than 15 countries specialising in activating their unique talents and strengths to achieve ambitious personal and professional goals. The Idea Mindset is his tried and tested blueprint for designing your dream career, developed from what Gary has learned on his own fascinating journey to career fulfilment. Gary, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Thank you so much. I suppose given your extremely diverse career to date, I must ask whether you wish you'd written and read The Idea Mindset some years previous. Or is diversity and experimentation all part of the process to ultimately changing your life? That's a, it's a great question and uh, one I often ask myself. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. really appreciate the, the invitation. I think The Idea Mindset for me is kind of the culmination of my career experiences. I wish somebody had written a version of this that I could have read when I was going through my own career changes. But I was reflecting recently and I was like, I don't think I could have written this book without having gone through those experiences myself. So I, I got to a point about a year ago where I was like, okay, now I'm ready to write that book that I've kind of had swimming somewhere in my head for the last 20 years. And you've had a very diverse career, which we've touched on earlier in the podcast. But what led you to write the book? Well, I'd started working with my coaching clients about three years ago. And the journey that I've been on is that there's a part of my career, which is the part in business, so consulting and then working in retail, where I'd worked for a long time with companies and with individuals on the kind of logical structure questions like, who are you? What's important for you? Where are you going? How are you going to get there? What help do you need? That kind of structure. And that's the identity and the direction part of the idea mindset. So idea standing for identity, direction, engagement, authenticity. And then the second part is really for me coming through my dancing experience, which was for me pursuing a passion, something I'm really excited about. So how do you find something that you really love? And how do you find something that connects deeply with your values and purpose? So when I started coaching clients about three years ago, I found that I was asking them both those types of questions. First, the logical flow of who are you, where are you going, how are you going to get there, what help do you need, forming your action plan. A lot of coaching journeys are about that. It's about, so what are you going to do when you leave here today? By the time we talk next time, what three actions will you have taken? How are you going to know that you're there? And that's great. That's important. But I felt that that was missing the, but really, why are you doing it? And are you creating the future that you're really passionate about? So I started with my clients giving them some exercises to do. So I would say before we meet up next time, do a SWOT analysis. So think about your strengths, your weaknesses, your opportunities, your threats to making change. Think about who you need on your journey and write it down. Think about what your values are and write it down. And I got to a place and I was like, I think this is a book, actually. I had about 15,000 words in the exercises. I've always loved coaching and I will continue to do that. But I thought, can I take myself out of the journey here? So could somebody pick up the book on the other side of the world and go, I could have a part of this journey to find this idea mindset. And so I started writing the book around those exercises. That was how I started the journey a year ago. The title of the book is The Idea Mindset. What mindset does a reader of the book need to have before, during and after reading? When I talk to people about when it's right to start thinking about this kind of journey, I say to them, it feels like something needs to change, but I don't know what. Simple as that. So you're in a place where you recognize that something's not quite right. And that could be, I don't really love my job 
anymore. I'm not quite clear why I'm here doing what I'm doing. Or I do love my job, but it's not kind of working with my whole life, my work-life balance is off. Something needs to change, and I don't know how to change. That's the beginning of the journey. So you've got to be open to change, ready to change, and ready to put the time in and the work in to do it. Because to make change happen in the short term is relatively easy, a bit like crash diets. But crash diets don't work because they don't sustain. So really the journey is about actually having persistence and investing in yourself and creating new habits and and practices and processes to mean that in a year's time, in two years' time, in five years' time, that change will have embedded and stuck. And that's the difference. And how do you encourage honesty and openness in that process? Because I can imagine we all see ourselves in a certain way and we also see ourselves in the way that we would probably like to be seen. So how do you encourage that honesty within those exercises? Well, I think it's similar reading the book and going through coaching with me, where it's quite an intimate process, actually. But with the book, it's intimate with yourself. And so I say to people, it's really important that you put your biggest stuff on the table. If you go through this process and there's something that you know really drives why you're unhappy or why you haven't shifted and you don't face into that, then you're not going to change this time either. So there's an exercise right at the front of the book. And it's a kind of weird thing to write in the book, but I wrote it. I said, go and look in the mirror and look at yourself. And then I said, and keep looking at yourself for a minute and try to keep looking at yourself for two minutes and then write down the six words that came into your head when you've looked at yourself in the mirror. And for a lot of people, they'll find that an incredibly difficult thing to do because you never do it, because it's encouraging you to really face into what's important to you. And as you go through the journey, the book is reminding you and inviting you to ask yourself the big questions and work out really what's important to you. And that could help you to reconnect with the work you do. It could help you to step up to the next level and change the kind of role that you play. It could help you realize that this is the moment to go on and do something else that you really have always wanted to do. And I feel that books come at a really good time because I suppose with everything that's going on in the world, people are are really kind of questioning their roles and their jobs and and things like that. Mm. Did the pandemic encourage you more to write the book or was it just great timing in terms of what you were doing versus what the world was doing the pandemic is a terrible thing that has impacted lots of people in very negative ways but at the same time a consequence of the pandemic is absolutely that it's caused us all to absolutely reevaluate what we're doing so i had a job years ago where i was living two hours drive away from the office so every day i was driving three and a half hours in the morning the end of the day coming home from work and over the course of a few years I think I added it up I'd been on the M25 for two and a half thousand hours commuting and the job itself I found very fulfilling and you know it was a great growth opportunity for me but I think where I'm at now I wouldn't make the same decisions about taking on that commitment in terms of the time the emotional impact the mental health impact of that kind of intensity of role so I think that the book was always coming But actually what's happening now is about twice as many people as you'd normally see are going, I'm thinking about, I'm exploring a different role from the one I have today. In normal times, 20% of people at any one time are thinking in the next year, next two years, I'm thinking about changing jobs. Microsoft did a survey earlier this year and they said it's over 40%. And only about, I think it's less than 20% of people, if you ask them, are you worried about not being able to get a next job? Less than 20% of people are going, yeah, I'm worried about that. So people are going into much more risky environments than they would previously have done. I I spoke to a business senior leader last week, and he said what was striking was not only how many people are thinking about leaving and actually resigning, but he said also, if you look at the kinds of things they're going to, they're not the kind of bolted on, definitely going to be great kinds of roles. Lots of people going into, I'm going to start my own thing, I'm going to join a small team, you know, exciting but quite risky. So that whole mindset of people has shifted. And Gary, do you see that as a short-term trend or do you do you feel that that will be a long-term trend brought about by everything that's happened? I think there's two elements to it. So I think in the short term, by which it's probably realistically, I think over the next one, two, three years, I think we'll still be feeling the ramifications of the pandemic and the shift to how people are feeling for quite a long time as we're seeing now we're still seeing you know new lockdowns coming in Europe we may have the same in the UK at some point as well 
So that first driver is the direct impact of the pandemic. Second driver is by the time that all resolves and we've been in this new world for two or three or four years and habits have established, people won't be going back to the way they used to think. Most companies now, if you look at the mix of their employees who are Gen Z, it's a reasonable percentage. If you look at the mix of their new joiners who are Gen Z, is almost all of them. So people joining companies have very, very different expectations. And I was talking to somebody recently and they said, who's the book for? And I said, well, in my mind, and I was channeling my own thinking, in my mind, when you have your 30th birthday, there's kind of this moment where you go, oh, crikey, this is the decade when I've got to get on and achieve the things in my career. Because I can't get to 40 and go, I haven't started the career I really want to be doing yet. I haven't made progress in my career. I want to be settling and establishing in my 40s, but in my 30s is the time to move. And I said, I don't know that the book will really resonate with people under 30. And he said, well, I'm under 30 and it really resonates with me. And he talked about some of the people he listens to in terms of podcasts, that kind of thing. And he said, people in my generation don't feel the need to spend 10 years establishing themselves in a career before they can go and do the crazy thing. They want to do the crazy thing straight away. Whereas, you know, for me, I was like, I need to build some skills. I need to get some experience. I need to work for an organization with a great name. And then I can think about what I really want to do. And so actually, I've started talking to people now in their mid-20s and going, well, what do you want to do? What's important to you? What do you care about working in a team? Do you care about working in a big company? Do you care about money or fame or happiness? Do you care about legacy? And they're like, those are really interesting questions that we want to answer as well. So actually, I think it's broader than when I was first thinking. It's a really interesting topic. And I'm, I'm going to come back to the book and, and the elements. But just some of the things that you're saying, I think, are really interesting around the corporate workforce. So traditionally, it's been, you know, you can have your own business or you can have, join a small company or probably in the main, it's about being in a corporate environment, climbing that ladder, being a part of that. And clearly there is a massive shift now away from that. So how do businesses try and not combat that, but try and work with that so that they just don't lose their best talent and their workforce? I had a conversation literally yesterday with one of the most senior leaders in Gallup organization, which is the organization that leads on how you understand and use your own strengths is something that comes up in the book but also how you manage with strengths how you manage other people with strengths and I said to him what do you think if you were to say to somebody in the middle of this crisis who's a leader or manager of teams you can do to combat the great resignation and he said the changes that you need to have made to impact people who want to leave today you probably should have made a year ago so there's maybe a little bit that you can do to mitigate that to some extent in terms of work policies, flexibility, understanding, building relationships with your teams and, and maybe changing some of the styles and dynamics of the way people are managed. He said, actually, what I'd be investing my time in is building engagement and relationship with the new joiners because actually that's the future. You say, if somebody's now joining your business, what business do you want them to be joining? What experience do you want them to have? And I thought that was so interesting because leaders who are in the middle of this real crisis moment are going, I need to stem the flow out. And he was going, slightly park that thinking and think really hard about what about the people that are not planning to leave? How are you going to hold and develop that new culture for those people? And I think that a really big part of that is the culture of management. And I talk with people a lot about the shift from boss mode to leader mode to coach mode. And that is, boss mode as a leader is, I'll tell you what we're doing, I'll tell you your role in that. I'll tell you what your objectives are. And at the end of the week, we'll decide whether you've hit them or not. And if you haven't, then there'll be consequences. And if you have, then we'll have a party and then we'll do it again next week. That's boss mode. And your role is to fulfill your job description. Leader mode is I will set the course and I will inspire you on where we're going, but I want you then to contribute to that journey. But still, you're following the path that I've set in an inspirational way. Coach mode is... I know I may have an opinion as to where we're going, but before we go there, I actually want to hear what your views are because I recognise that your views might be better than mine and developing people to take on real ownership of what they're doing. So the companies that have gone, well, team, how do we want to be working? 
oh, well, actually, we'd like to be working pretty remotely and come into the office one or two days a week, but we will take ownership of making sure that we achieve our objectives. And if there's a new joiner who needs to be inducted, then we'll take ownership that we will come more into the office to bring that person on board. And once they're established, then we'll go back to our flexible model. And it becomes less about the leader going, I'm going to tell you what it's going to be, and more the team going, we together will create something that we all feel is comfortable. And it amps up the level of responsibility from the team, and it amps up the level of engagement. Uh, Gallup did a really powerful piece of research relatively recently, and they said, we're going to look at the top quartile of companies that have got super high engagement, and we're going to look at the bottom quartile of companies that have really low engagement, and we're going to look at all the drivers, and then we're going to say, what drives the variance between the best engaged and the least engaged employees? 70% of the variance was your line manager. Wow. So all the other factors, all the other factors contributed, but 70% was how you are managed, how you feel you're managed by your line manager and the attitude of that manager. It's staggering, isn't it? Because obviously those corporates do so much in terms of their purpose and their values and their mm. business drivers. But from what I'm hearing, Gary, that actually it's the direct line report mm -hmm. that, that that's where the, they need to focus their efforts to ensure that longevity. And there's, there's a fundamental reason for that, and that's that people become in leadership positions because they're really good at their job and they get promoted. And a lot of businesses are not very good at helping that person transition into that new role, both taking on the new responsibilities of leadership and how to do that really effectively in the new world. I mean, nobody's an expert in doing it really in the new world but also letting go of the things you did before. There's a great book by a very experienced coach called Marshall Goldsmith, and the book title is What Got You Here Won't Get You There. You almost don't need to read the book, you just need to listen to the title. When I'm coaching people, I coach a lot of senior leaders, a variety of different people, but I coach a lot of senior leaders, and really commonly I come across this piece where they go, I've taken on this new team, I've taken on this new leadership role, and I'm completely snowed under. And I'm like, are you still doing all the things that you were doing before? Yeah, because I don't really trust them to do it. Well, what if you did? What if you were comfortable that your team might come up with a different answer from you and that's okay, but you're just really clear on these are the parameters that need to be true in the answer. Beyond that, I'm really comfortable for you as a team to take it on and I'm going to let that go. And in doing so, I'm going to create time, two, three days a week maybe of time for me to do my new job and to think big and to manage up and manage across and think strategically and find vision, all of those kinds of things that as a leader you want to do. A lot of these businesses where they go, my direct management is making me disengaged, it's things like micromanagement. It's things like, I didn't really listen to you for what works for you. I didn't understand your whole self. That's really important now in the pandemic. People want you to know that they've got young children, that they've got a dog, that it's important to them that they pick their kids up from school twice a week. Whereas in the old days, often in the office environment, it was a little bit pushed down to have those kinds of conversations. The new way of managing is a much more open, engaging, human way of managing. So it sounds like businesses really need to get on board and embrace that, otherwise they're going to really suffer. I think that's true. And I think that in all sectors, there are businesses that will get it and there are businesses that won't. And the businesses that don't will fast realise that they have to shift. So the first company I ever worked with is a pretty intensive, very successful global consulting firm, very impressive firm. And when I was working there, you know, everybody worked full time in the office or on client site. We would do 50, 60 hours a week, every week. And it was amazing training. And I'm, I'm still very closely connected with the firm and, and good friends with them. And I went to uh, an event they ran maybe a month ago. And they said, we just put in a new framework for how we're going to work. And in my head, I went, well, I think by the nature of what you do, you know, big advisory work for major corporations, banks, private equity firms, you know, you'll have a bit of flexibility now that you didn't have before. And they said, we've decided to have a fully flexible policy and we're not going to mandate any time in the office. We're going to say to people, we do think on average that you probably will be in the office two or three days a week, but it's entirely up to you. I thought, wow, I was a bit blown away because I was like, if this firm who has a real strong reason to say, actually, to do the work we do, you need to be here Tuesday to Thursday. But actually they went, we talked to our teams and they said, well, we will make it work, but we would prefer a more flexible model. And that's how people are changing. So even companies that you would think can't change will change. 
I'd like to circle back to the book. Now, I suppose against the backdrop of the pandemic, more of us are seeking help with mental health, wellness, positivity issues. And there's no doubt that there's a plethora of self-help books and systems on the market into which we can invest our time and trust. What makes the idea mindset the one book that we should read? I think the short answer is it isn't the one book that you should read. And at the back of the book, I recommend further reading in different categories. I think I've recommended about 26 different books because for different people, they'll go on the journey I'm going on. I really want to do something about my physical health. And so here's some places to go to go in more depth there. Somebody else will go, I really want to understand more about career change. So here's some places to go. What makes the idea mindset really distinctive, I think, from most of those self-help books is that most self-help books tell you an answer. They go, here is the way I think, this is how you should think. This is what I do, this is what you should do. This is what I have for breakfast, this is what you should have for breakfast. This is when I meditate, it's when you should meditate. I don't have that view. I don't particularly talk in the book about my daily routine, because I don't have one, but that's not important. The idea mindset is a framework, it's an approach and a way of thinking for you to find your own path in a way going through the idea mindset journey is a little bit like those choose your own adventure books so what the book is doing is asking you some questions for you to answer in your way so if you looked at the journey that 10 different readers go through with the book and where they get to in their end point there'll be 10 very very different outcomes and I see that with my own coaching clients for example I have a senior executive in a global technology firm who I work with who is going through this journey and it's about developing his unique leadership style. I have an actress in Hollywood who's going through this journey who is working out how she can really take control of the direction of her career and let go of the frustration that comes from daily rejection, which is the nature of being an, an actor and auditions and so on. Uh, somebody who's a world-class professional ballroom dancer who wants to become the world champion. So she's going through the journey, working out how she forms a great, partnership with her dance partner and how they balance their strengths and together are the most powerful team they can be so the journey is actually the same they think about what's important to them they think about what they need to do right now and what they don't need to do right now what they can let go of what they really want to amp up what training and development they need who they need on their team how they're going to tell their story to others and the book is the guide for doing that for them the book itself there's a heavy focus on career we spend a lot of time at work, and obviously that's that's very important to us. The principles of the idea mindset, can they be expanded beyond career to life in general? Completely. So for the book, we felt it was really important to give the book some focus so that it was clear a group of people who would go, actually, this is a book that is for me. So it's people, as I said before, it's people who are going, something needs to change, I don't know what in my role, in going for the next role, in adding to my side hustle, in maybe changing career. But the principles will work in your whole life, the same as with when we were talking before about understanding your natural talents and your strengths. That's something that will impact at work, it will impact at home, your balance of your home and work life. Just circling back to the four core principles of the idea mindset, so their identity, direction, engagement and authenticity. Could you talk me through each facet in a bit more detail? Sure. So the book, I talk about it as being a little bit like a cake recipe. So going through the book, you are mixing together the ingredients and the outcome is your cake, or in, in this case is your idea mindset. So the mindset is identity, direction, engagement, authenticity. The short form is you understand who you are and where you're going for a future that you love and that connects with your values and purpose. So the kinds of things that are in your identity is knowing what's important to you, what your values are, knowing what your natural talents and strengths are, knowing how other people perceive you. So part of the foundations in the book is getting some feedback from some people that really know you very well about where you're at your best. That's all part of building your sense of identity. Your direction is something about the long term, and a lot of books will talk about your vision. So in 10 years' time, in 20 years' time, I really want to be X. For me, actually, if you can articulate that, I think that's great. 
But I say to people, I don't think you should get hung up if you can't articulate that. I've never really been able to articulate my long-term vision. But I think what you can do, and there's an exercise in the book, is to think about some things that might be important to you in the long term, like, is legacy important to you at all? Is fame important to you? Is money important to you? Is working with teams or working on your own important to you? Direction is also actually about the short term, more importantly probably, when you're faced with a choice, when you're faced with turning left or right at a fork in the road, how do you choose? Particularly in the world where you don't know what the 10-year plan is, but somebody's just called you up and said, would you come to interview for this role? Do you go to interview? Do you not go to interview? If you go to interview and they offer you the role, do you take it or not? How do you make that choice? It's quite easy to do if you go, well, I know that I want to be CEO of this business in 10 years' time. But if you go, I literally don't know where I want to be in 10 years' time, then you've got to think about things that are in your control and in in your gifts. So that's about direction. We're working on your action plan, the timeline, how you're going to measure whether you're there and what help you need to take those steps. Engagement, what you love doing, connects back to your natural talents and strengths. So a lot of people, when you say to them, what are you naturally really good at? Sometimes they don't know. So going through that process of trying to understand that is in itself powerful. They do know... And then you go, does that sync with what you're doing every day at work? Not really. I love communicating with people. I love telling stories. What do you do every day? I'm on the spreadsheet. Oh, okay. Imagine you were doing a role or bringing something more into your role, which is about telling stories. Would you love what you're doing more? Yeah, I would. So shaping a career intentionally around the things that you're naturally talented at that connect for you helps you build that career you love. And then authenticity It's quite difficult to define, but really I say that authenticity is you take action to make steps around things that are your values and your purpose. There's a quote in the book from the US comedian John Stewart who says something along the lines of, if you don't take action because of your values, then they're not really values, they're just hobbies. And with a lot of people, so for example, you'll say, do you care about the environment? And they go, yes, I do care about the environment. What are you doing differently from five years ago because you care about the environment? I can't really name anything. So it's not that you don't care about the environment, but it's not a value that drives your choices. When you can start to identify these are the values that actually drive my choices, then you can start to live a truly authentic life. And that's that authenticity piece. So if you're starting up your business and you're talking to investors, And there's an investor who goes, I'll give you the money, but I don't really believe in what you're doing. Do you turn down the money? Because if you're being fully authentic, then you probably do, because you need your team to really believe in what you're doing. Or if something happens at work where you really fundamentally disagree with it, do you speak up or not? That's about taking action. So going through this journey will get you to a place where you go, okay, I understand either that I'm getting to this place or I've designed my path to get to this place over time. And Gary, do you ever come across people who have a misalignment in those things? So perhaps they're all about money and it's the money is the key driver, but the thing that they really love, there isn't the opportunity to earn the money from that that they would love. What would be your advice in that scenario? It's about choice. It's about shining a light on those kind of choices where it might be that you can't have your cake and eat it. When I talk to my coaches all the time, and I, and I talked earlier in this conversation about this, when you're going through this journey, you have to be really open and honest with yourself. And sometimes you're facing things and go, there isn't an easy answer to this. And I've got to recognize that either I've got to make a choice or I've got to be comfortable with the fact that these two are not currently coordinated with one another. Sometimes when I'm working with my coaches, I say to them, what's most important is that you do the thinking about the stuff that is really critical here. You don't even have to tell me the answer to the question. So I might say to them, if you had to choose, what would you do? Or why is it that you feel this drive, for example, for money? The reasons for that might be things they're not comfortable to share with me, which doesn't matter because I don't need to know, but they need to know. So what I say to people is, You've got to spend time with your own thoughts to work through these kind of choices. For me, I went through a particular career change where I had a very significant reduction in my income. And at that time, 
I absolutely had to think about, well, what are the consequences if I follow this path? And how much risk am I prepared to take on? How much change to my you know, everyday life and I, am I comfortable to take? If it all doesn't work out, what am I going to do next? And there's something about owning your decisions, owning your choices. Many years ago, I left medicine, I left medical school after eight years. And I didn't know at that time whether what I went on to do next, which in my case was consulting, was going to be something that I really enjoyed, something I was going to be successful in or not. I had no idea. But I knew that what I was doing at the time wasn't right. And so I was comfortable to take that decision and own the consequences. And I remember saying to myself at the time, even if I end up worse off, I'm still comfortable that I made the decision that was right for me. And Gary, you've had a really interesting, varied career because of the choices that you've made. But how long would you say, and I, I imagine the, the answer might be it's different for everyone, but what is an appropriate amount of time to give something before perhaps looking at something else or feeling you might need to change? The answer is it's different for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I thought um, it might be. <laughs> in my own experience, I've seen it as short as a week. I know people who've been in their roles for 20 years and they go, I kind of knew 10 years ago that this wasn't right, but I haven't done anything about it yet. And of course, everybody's an individual and you've got to be comfortable with what's right for you. It comes back to the question you asked earlier about mindset. What's the mindset that you need to have to go into the idea mindset journey? It's being ready to explore change. So for some people, they go, I don't really like what I do and I'm kind of frustrated by it, but it does work for me and I'm working in the town that my children are at school I do get to pick them up from school at the end of the day so the fact that I don't really love my job but it does do something for me that I'm kind of comfortable with well that's all right they're not really ready for change when they get to that point where they go something needs to change and those parameters that had kept me doing what I was doing my you know I had young children for example they're now older we've got more financial flexibility maybe I can explore doing something different they'll know when that moment is. They might still go, I don't know what needs to change or how or when, but they're ready to go into that journey. So I think if you've been in a role for a week and you go, I know fundamentally this isn't right, then that's okay. And you've got to decide and own that decision of what you do with that piece. And presumably if you know your values and your your personal values and your direction are the, the things that you mentioned i would assume that that would be a an easier faster decision to then make that's the thing and i think that values is a great example that most people have a reasonable understanding of the kind of things that are important to them but when you go through this journey and, and in the book you go write them down and then think about whether you actually take action as a result of that value being present or that value being absent, that's when you're going to start to go, ah, now when I think about it, actually it's these three things that really matter to me. It's about honesty. It's about respect. It's about something else. And that's when you start to go, you know, actually that gives me greater clarity on what I need to do next. And with my own private coaching clients, I have that conversation a lot. They go, I kind of already knew, but now I absolutely know. I think with the authenticity piece, it seems like it's a topic around purpose and values that has really come to the forefront of people's minds. Going back to the point around businesses and the retention of staff, do you think more should be done early on in that process to really align the business purpose and values to the, the individual purpose and values? Absolutely, clearly they do and they should. There's a great example from my own career. So I used to work on the senior leadership team at Mothercare. Uh, and Mothercare has always been a really great brand for its customers, particularly first-time pregnant mums coming into the business, coming into the stores, coming online to get information, advice, support, and then the products that they need on that journey has been successful. Challenged recently in the UK, but, but successful over 50-plus years and successful in 50 countries around the world on that basis and there was a time I remember with the senior leadership we were looking at the promise to employees and the promise to employees actually looked much the same as other organizations you know, this is what you're going to be paid this is what your bonus might be if the business hits its targets this is how much holiday you get and then we, we said well 
what does it mean to be a new parent who works for mother care? And it sparked a very different way of thinking. So we started to create a, a benefit structure that actually tied into the fact that if we want our customers to feel like we're the best place to come when they're first pregnant, that we should feel like we're also the best employer for new parents. So we started to think about more family-friendly policies. You had an extra day off if it was your child's first birthday. If you had a baby whilst you were at mother care, you got a special discount for all of your high-ticket items. It did change the mindset of the business to say, actually, our employees are our most valuable customers and if you don't live your values through your own teams how can you really be authentic with your customers it's just an example of how a lot of businesses are starting to think differently so gary we talked about business and moving back to the individual personal branding is a hot topic right now how does your book support people wanting to develop their own brand my own experience is and i talk about this in the book is about my life as a professional ballroom dancer. So with my wife, we trained and competed around the world. And when you're in a ballroom dancing competition, you're out on the dance floor with, you know, 12 other couples. And there are judges around the edge of the floor with their pads of paper. And they're watching you dance. And then they're deciding whether or not you're worthy of a place in the next round. And what happens, because they see you all the time, you know, in the studio, in the competition floor, they glance and they go, oh, it's Gary. We know Gary. We know how good he is. We know where he typically comes in the competition. And that's a big influence on how they're going to vote. So when we were improving and developing and growing, not only did we need to do that, but we also need to change the mindset of that judge. So it comes into the idea mindset because I say, what do you need people to see and observe in you? How do you want to change their perception of you to help you on your journey? Now, for some people depending on what they do that might not be that relevant but for a lot of people it really matters that people around them see that they're becoming a more confident leader that they're becoming a better communicator that they're becoming a more effective manager of process or they're more comfortable in change so if you're working on all of these things to develop yourself and grow and find this clarity and find this purpose you've got to think about how do you tell your story to others and there's a whole step in the journey, which is really talking about two things. First, what are the talking points? So what are the things that you want in a year's time people to be thinking about you, to be saying about you? Are there particular people who you really want to influence to change their perception of you? It might be your line manager. It might be a particularly important stakeholder in the work that you do. And then the second step is, well, how do you bring those talking points to life? So if you were writing your CV, what words would you use? How would you articulate it to make the reader of your CV have those thoughts? If you had your bio on a website, what words would you use in the bio on the website? It's different from what's on your CV because it's for a different purpose. If somebody was introducing you at an event, how would you want them to talk about you? If you were to give an elevated pitch to somebody for a minute about the journey you're on or, or, or what your role is or the things that you love doing, how would you tell that story? And I find with my coaching clients, this is the last step in the journey. You've gone through what you're actually wanting to do. It's incredibly powerful when they step back and go, other people might not see them make that change. And I talk to people about the idea of a plant growing. You know, you've got a plant on your desk. It grows with some water. It hopefully grows. But you don't notice it growing every day. So it's a bit like you're the judge in that ballroom dancing competition. You look at it and you go, that's my plant. It just happens to be bigger than it was yesterday, but in an imperceptible way. And one day it's going to burst into flower and you go, oh, it's flowered. So how do you burst into flower? How do you get somebody to go, ah, oh, I notice that this is different? Because they've got a notice to take action that's different in your benefit. So Gary, one of the things that I loved about the book was the time frame that you put against it. So you promise that the readers can figure out what they want from work and how to get it in just six weeks. What is the typical reader time commitment in terms of completing the task within the book? It's a really important question. I think that it was important to me that, you know, we did put a sort of time limit on it because it's a journey that ultimately is at your own pace. But the book is separated into six separate chapters, each one of which takes a week of your time. But that is a week of your brain time more than it's a week of you sitting doing 
exercises writing things down. So what I say in the book is the most important thing you're going to do is the thinking. So you're going to ask yourself some of these questions and then you're going to reflect on those answers. And I say if you're in week one, you're going to start at the beginning of the week and you're going to commit that in this week, alongside your day job, what you're doing is you're thinking about the steps that you're going through in this journey. You're thinking about the questions you've been asked. You're thinking about what's important to you. And then you write some things down in exercises. In the exercises, it depends on how much depth you want to go into. It depends on the week. Some of the exercises are a bit more intensive in terms of writing. Some of them are less. Typically, I would say that it's between one and a few hours a week you could spend on it. So some of my clients who go through these kind of exercises, they spend an hour or two writing down a few words, a few thoughts just to simulate their thinking. Other people write essays and both work. It's absolutely fine. Just on the the thinking piece, so one of the phrases that I really liked in the book was that you can't think to a deadline. In a world where most people are very time poor, how do we make time for thinking? I think that we're so used to going, this task needs to be done by Friday. Then somebody says to you, what do you want to be when you grow up? But I need to know by Friday. Well, you can't think to a deadline. You can't answer those questions until you're ready to answer those questions. I say that I think it's really important that you ask yourself some questions to throw some thoughts into the pot and then you let that pot simmer and it takes the time it's going to take. On the six weeks, those six weeks don't have to be consecutive but I think it's important, it's helpful to focus on a particular set of themes for a period of time. So take this week and commit, I think I've got the time this week to do it. The next couple of weeks are going to be really busy. Well, put the book aside and then come back to week two when you're ready to have another week where you can really focus and work through. So you are protecting some time, create some time. And actually, when you've got that time, you've got to really look after it. So switch your phone off, get away from your laptop, move away from email, go out for a walk, read the questions that you've got to think about, and then just allow that to simmer. So a lot of your best thinking happens in the shower, when you're doing the washing up, when you're walking the dog. And actually, that's the way to think about it. So you shouldn't be sitting at your desk, staring at a piece of paper, trying to work out the right words to use. Allow it to come to you. When I'm working with my clients, they often say, this is the thing I never have time to do. I never have time when I dedicate to just allow myself to think. And that's what you need to do here. So I say, at the beginning of the week, read all the way through the chapter so you know what's coming, you know what the big themes are, you know what the big questions are. Then just allow that to percolate and reflect on it. And then there'll be a point where you go, right now, I think I'm ready to start writing down what I think my values are. I think I'm ready to start doing this power move exercise, you know, starting my journal, for example. I think I'm ready to start to explore more of what my natural talents and strengths are. And then you can start writing. The second part is iteration is really, really important. So you shouldn't think what I write has to be the right answer at all. The process of writing stimulates you going, it's kind of the right word, but not quite the right word. And then you'll start to find the right word. And that's you finding clarity. I really enjoyed the format of the book, Gary, and the variety of the sections within it. Each section centered around some key objectives at the start, and then the achievement of those through reading, exercises, and power moves, which you've just touched on. But tell my listeners a bit more about what a power move is. So a power move is kind of getting into the daily routine, the daily rhythms and habits. A lot of the exercises that you're doing in the core of each chapter are some pretty big picture things. What are your natural talents and strengths? What is your big future vision and your purpose? What is the emotional journey of change you're going to go through and where are you on that journey? And I think it's really important for the book not to be just at this sort of 10,000 feet level. So it's really broad, really open. And in the end, you're not actually making change happen. So I introduced the idea of the power moves. So at the end of each chapter, there are two power moves to take on. And different moves will resonate with different people. But for example, at the end of week one, one of the power moves is to start your reflective journal. So a really helpful thing to do as you're going through this kind of process is to actually start to write down what you're doing, how you're feeling, what's worked well, what's not worked well. For some people that might be 
10 words in a list. For some people, it might be an essay. You know, it, it's, it's whatever's right for you. But starting to get into that habit of going, I'm not just thinking some big picture thoughts and then putting the book away and nothing's changed. I'm also starting to really take action. And there's something that goes along with that, which is the accountability memo. So once you get into week two, week three, week four, week five, you start to write this memo to say, what are the things that I'm doing now that I wasn't doing before I started this journey? So it's helping you to hold on to that new process or that new approach that you took in week one or week two. By week five, you should still be doing it and continually building and adding to what you're doing. So one of the power moves is about how you stop some activity. So you need to make space for all of the new thinking you're going to do, all the new things you're going to do. I talk about having a cupboard full of old shoes. If you buy some new shoes and you just try and stuff them in this cupboard, then you're just going to damage your new shoes. So for every new thing you're going to do, you need to stop something else. One of the power moves is how to stop something. So in your accountability memo, you're going to start thinking about, I did stop that thing, but actually two weeks later, I've allowed it to drift back in again. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, I need to genuinely stop it. And that's how you start to really turn intention into action. So power moves are really the output of the section and, and giving you something that is tangible and, and, exactly. and actionable. Exactly. Okay. One other thing I thought was very, very interesting, Gary, was that music features heavily through the book. It, it resonated with me because when I do some of my best work, it's against a backdrop of music. Tell me about the thinking behind its inclusion and how you selected the tracks that you did. It came in reasonably late in the process, actually. And it was really about me thinking about engagement and authenticity. So my brain, when I was writing, I mean, the nature of writing a book is quite a logical, structured process, hopefully. I read a draft and I was like, There's, I'm missing something here about passion and values and purpose and whatever. There's something about the other side of your brain connecting to that. And I thought, hang on, if I come back to myself as a dancer, what makes dancing so powerful is the connection between the movement of the body and the music that you're hearing and I realized that actually when I was doing my best writing as you said I've got music going on in the background so I thought what if I could do two things one is introduce the idea that a soundtrack a playlist can impact the way you think the way you feel the way you access this new mindset and two actually to give some ideas and suggestions as to what that could be so for each week there's a track that I say listen to this track, this particular version of this track before you start the exercise for the week to get you in the zone, in the mood for the week. Have this track on in playing quietly in the background as you're going through the exercises, maybe doing some of your writing, and then play this track when you've completed the week to celebrate success, celebrate completion, and, and get you motivated to move on to the next step. And it was interesting because the music that I picked is really quite an eclectic range of music, but it reflects a lot of the music that I was listening to when I was writing the book myself so in a way it's kind of enabling you to connect with what was in my own head when I'm thinking about that kind of journey and one of the most interesting parts of putting that together was finding the versions there's a lot of quite famous songs for example or famous pieces of music and I went through a lot of different versions I've rarely said get the standard single version of the song I'm saying get this performance by this person on this tv show or whatever all of the tracks are available on youtube one of the tracks is the theme from Schindler's List. And it's played in the version that I've recommended by a Dutch orchestra where the Anglais player has a health condition that means that she's not going to be able to play forever. And she really wanted to be able to play this piece with the orchestra with her daughter and the audience on her 18th birthday. This incredibly emotional version of the track because of the context in which it was played. And I was like, you can't, bottle that you can't just go listen to this piece of music because you don't get that emotional connection it was a really interesting thing to do and i'm really looking forward to hearing people's feedback on their experiences of those pieces of music and going through the journey listening to it thought it was a really nice inclusion so gary coming full circle now if you could change one thing in your working life what would it be or do you feel that now you have your dream job I'm always cautious about with my own career history of saying I have my dream <laughs> job. But genuinely, I think that I've been through such a journey myself and it's caused me to reflect really deeply on what's important to me. And so I do feel like I do every day what I love to do. Uh, there's a great quote from Warren Buffett 
he was talking to a group of students and he said, um, you think that what's different between me and you is that I've got extraordinary wealth and you haven't. And he said, my suit looks just as crumpled as, as yours does, despite the fact that it might be a more expensive suit. He said, the difference between you and me is that I have the opportunity to get up every day and do the thing that I love to do. And I feel privileged in that space that with the coaching work that I do, with talking about idea, giving access to more people to this way of thinking, it is genuinely a dream job. And I, I just love every day the, the work that I'm doing. Just lastly, The Idea Mindset, fantastic book. Really recommend it to the listeners. When's it available and how can people seek it out? So it's coming out on the 13th of January. It's currently available on pre-order in the UK and the US on Amazon, on Waterstones and other book platforms. It's going to be available in physical book and ebook and audiobook. The ebook and audiobook are about to be released as well on pre-order. And you can go to the ideamindset.com website where there's a link to purchase the book and more information about it there. That's really great. And Gary, just lastly, where else can people seek you out if they want some more information? I'd love you to find me on Instagram. I'm at Gary Crotez on Instagram and at GaryCrotez.com, also my personal website. And I'd be delighted to engage with people and talk about the idea mindset much more. Fantastic. Well, Gary, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I wish you all the best of luck with the book. And uh, yeah, I would love to have you back on in the future to see how it's all gone and, and whether there's another career change in the in the making. Well, I hope not. But <laughs> I hope no more career changes, but I'd love to come back. Thank you so much for having me today. It's been, it's been amazing. Thanks, Gary. Thank you. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Open Mic Marketing Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Until next time, I'm Brett Samuels. Goodbye. 